0: What's up, YA? How you guys doing? You guys good? You're fired up. I love it. You don't even need sound. Don't even need music. Ready to go. How many of you brought your Bibles out of curiosity? I couldn't see. Hold them up. Okay. Not bad. I like it. If you didn't bring them, don't worry about it. It's not like it's absolutely vital or necessary to what's going to happen tonight, but it just might be helpful because just, just right up front, I'm sorry. This is sorry, guys is that, okay. Right up front, I'll just be honest about my intention and my goal for the night is simply just to take this book right here and make it a little bit more approachable for every single one of us in the room. Whether you think that you know everything about it, you don't, or whether you would admit, man, I don't know anything, I I wouldn't even know where to start to read this book or what's in it. I just know kind of a few memory verses here and there. We all need more of this in our life. Reading the Bible is a fundamental part of our faith and it should be until the day that we die. This is the map in the concept of a road trip, right? And so not only is this a true story, but this is the story. This is the story. And um, to to show you exactly what I mean, I want to read you a quote from a book called Telling God's Story. And the quote goes like this. The Bible is a story that, better than any other story story, makes sense of life. And so better than any other story, better than any other book that you've ever read or movie that you've ever seen, even pick like your favorite movie. That movie honestly is nothing really more than a shadow of what this story is right here, pulling all of its major themes straight from this book. So ladies in the room and guys in the room, if we're just being honest, all of us love romantic comedies, right? We love chick flicks, but can we just be honest about this for a second? Like, And I'm comfy enough up here to say that. I love romantic comedies. Even though every romantic comedy is the exact same story every single time. It really is. Like, Change out the setting and change out the characters and make a few minor minor tweaks to the details here and there, but the plot, the conflict, and the resolution is the exact same thing every single time. Like the next romantic comedy that comes out, you know how it's going to end, but we're still going to pay $10 to go and see it, even though we know how it's going to end because we want to believe that man out there somewhere is in an unbreakable love. We love to believe that something like that exists. And you feel that because this is the story of a God who has a love for you that will never break. And that's why stories like that resonate with our hearts. Or if you think about like guys in here, we love stories of sacrifice, right? Like stories like Gladiator, those kind of movies, Braveheart, even Harry Potter, right? Like that fires us up to think about guys who would, or girls, who would sacrifice their lives and lay, them, lay their lives down for their friends or for the people around them. Like that fires us up and our hearts were designed to get fired up by those things because this is a story of a God who sacrificed it all, gave up everything to lay his life down on our behalf so that we could go free. And stories of adventure, man, we love, love stories of adventure. Well, what do you think this is an invitation of? This is an invitation of adventure from God to us. And so the Bible is a story that, better than any other story, makes sense of life. It gives coherence and structure to our understanding of the universe. It gives meaning to our experiences and direction to our decisions. It is a story that refuses apathy. It requests a hearing. It petitions to be internalized. It promises a life-changing encounter with God. And so two weeks ago, Connor made like the brilliant point in this road trip series. He said that the ultimate destination in life as Christians, as followers of Christ, should be holiness, right? Like fullness of life is found in that. Like we have a lot of destinations, but the ultimate destination, not just after we die, but in this lifetime should be holiness. That's what we pursue. The starting line is grace and the finish line is holiness, In the map, that gets us from A to B is the word of God. And so tonight, I just wanna talk about the map. I wanna talk about the Bible. I wanna take this thing right here and make it a little bit less intimidating for every single one of us in this room because in our day and age, it is so easy as Christians, and you guys know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I do the same thing. It's so easy just to get your Bible fix on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night and listen to a podcast and have somebody else explain to you part of the Bible. But if that is your only, that's really important, but if it's your only interaction with this book, then that's a problem, right? Because man, like, and here's what I'm getting at here. There is nothing that can replace you learning the art of getting alone with this book, with just you and God and hearing from heaven through the through the words that are written on this on these pages. Nothing, nothing can can replace that for you falling in love with God as your life is transformed by this story, as your mind is renewed, as ultimately his thoughts are downloaded and and become your thoughts through the time that you spend in this word. Nothing can replace it, but it's intimidating for some reason, right? The Bible, like the best-selling book in this country, also number one on the most unread books list in this country, right? Because it's intimidating. This is 66 individual books or letters, written by 39 different authors over the span of 1,500 years on three different continents, okay? But nonetheless, those 66 books add up to tell one single story. And so I want to take you through that story, the story of God that is not about you and not about me. It's about him. He's the main character. And I want to take us through it tonight by breaking it down into like four different sections. Like if this was a play, there'd be four acts to it. Does that make sense? So we're going to break it up into four different parts. So if you have your Bibles, get those on your laps. Honestly, we're not going to look at a lot of verses, really to go through the whole Bible, which is, what, which is what I want to do at the speed of light, okay? We can't really read a lot of verses. We're just going to kind of go through the sections so that maybe you can get a little bit more familiar with where everything is in here, and this thing can become a little bit less intimidating for you. So Genesis 1, part 1. Actually, real quick, let me put a slide up of the four acts that I'm talking about. Here we go. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We can break We can break it up into those four different parts. Those are the acts, and like information is great, but information doesn't transform or change people. But stories do transform and change people. And this story, as it becomes a part of you, will transform you from the inside out as the living and breathing and very much alive word of God because this book, man, it it refuses your apathy. It demands to be heard, and then it demands to be internalized. And it promises a life-changing encounter with the main character amen you guys with me so far is this making a lot of noise is it can we should we just grab the other microphone I don't want that to be annoying for you guys the whole night we can yeah should I go get it okay shall I just keep going I'm just gonna keep going we're gonna talk about the Bible Part one, act one, all the way to Genesis chapter one, verse one. We're just going to popcorn read through the entire Bible tonight, okay? So I'm going to start and then I'm kidding. I would like, actually, I wouldn't like to do that. That was a lie right there. But we are going to go through it section by section. So act one is creation, okay? Creation, and all this is is the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapter one and chapter two. The Bible begins with only God, okay, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. So think about that for a second. Once upon a time, there was only God and nothing else. And then all of a sudden, that God just starts making stuff, okay? Genesis 1-3, those four words, let there be light. He says that and then light and the universe explodes and to this day has been expanding out in every single direction at the speed of light, okay? And don't make the mistake of thinking that creation was in some kind of weird way about God. There we go, thank you, Char. Give it up for Charlotte. There we go. Check one. Check two. Is that good? All right. All right, so creation, right? The, the part one, Genesis 1, 3, let there be light. Everything expands out in every single direction. Do not make the mistake of thinking that creation was in some kind of weird way because God was bored and he just needed something to do or because God in some kind of weird way created us so that we could complete him like he's floating around doing his thing for trillions of years. And then he's like, oh gosh, I'm just so bored and so incomplete. I know, I'll create a bunch of human beings who will one day rebel against me and I'll have to do with that and that should take up a few millennia for me like there we go like that's not what happened God does not need you God does not need me but here right away is one of the most beautiful truths of the Bible he wants you and he wants me meaning that you do not need to read this thing because God needs you to read this thing you need to read this thing so that you can get the get to know the God who chooses you all the more So creation basically is just an overflow of his love and of his character with his expression in in absolutely everything from the smallest, most seemingly insignificant part of creation all the way to the crown jewel of his creation, right? You and me, the human being. Everything finds not only its meaning, but its reason for being alive in a relationship with its creator, with him. But even more for us as human beings, the only being created in the image of God, more than an intimate relationship, we have. A partnership with him. If you think about it this way, Genesis, the Bible starts in a garden, the Garden of Eden, right? And then it finishes in Revelation with a city which means that the garden was never intended to be a product, but rather a project, a story, a journey that he invites us into, not as the main characters, but nonetheless in a beautiful relationship with him. That was God's original intent from the very beginning. No conflict, only perfection. Genesis 2.25 gives us a pretty good idea of the state of being in Act 1 of this story. Adam and Eve were both naked. And they felt no shame and this goes way beyond just physical nakedness this is talking about nothing to hide no such thing as guilt no such thing as shame like think about that for a second okay the original intention I can be fully me you can be fully you nobody needs to pretend or pretend that there's something that they're not or put on a show just perfect harmony and union with the Creator God who every single day would give rest and give peace and give vitality and give life to our pure and innocent hearts. The Hebrews would call this state the state of shalom, where everything just worked. It was in sync, like this beautiful rhythm of harmony and union between us and everybody else, but then us and our creator as well. No such thing as sin, no such thing therefore as death, no such thing as disease, no such thing as cancer, no such thing as the Oakland Raiders, no such thing as acne No such thing as allergies. No such thing as somebody walking into a nightclub and killing 49 people. No such thing as evil. No such thing as grace because grace wasn't needed because evil wasn't even around. Like, shalom, everything in brilliant and perfect and beautiful harmony and rhythm. And that is the first Two chapters of the Bible. Literally in my Bible, one page front and back is part one, and that's all we get. And then Genesis chapter three happens, and we enter in to act two, part two, the fall. And this is Genesis chapter three, and in our overview of the Bible, this is going to take us all the way to the end of Malachi, the very end of the Old Testament, okay? So, we got a lot to go through really quick, but basically human beings decided that they were better off without God, that they they knew better than him. And Adam and Eve ate the apple, at least we think it was an apple, some kind of fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, what the Bible says is everything just fractured. The shalom, the harmony of everything just shattered, not just for us, but all of creation. Romans chapter 8 would say that, man, even the mountains and the oceans and the stars and the plants and animals, like they all understand that some, is now wrong. Like somehow creation remembers what it was like in act one before the fall happened and they're crying out to God to get things to go back to the way things used to be. So everything, harmony and shalom is completely shattered. And so if you're in here and, and Adam and Eve in that moment, like this is such just a sad verse. They run and hide because shame takes a hold of the human heart for the very first time. And ever since then, human beings, including me and you have been running and hiding ever since mm because shame has now entered the world. And so if you ever feel shame, if you ever feel like broken, if you if you have this image, this vision of this man or woman that you want to be, but most days you find yourself just not being that, like falling short of the person you know that God designed you to be, well, Genesis chapter three is the reason why. The fall is the reason why. Go to Genesis three and read how men and women and the ground are all cursed. It's like the x-ray of what's going on in here and actually helps make a lot of sense of the broken, that we feel blessing was exchanged for curse and evil and horrible things become more and more and more commonplace and so quick recap the first two chapters of the bible is act one is creation god's original intent and then the rest of the old testament represents the result of man's sin the broken world as we know it The conflict that has now come into the story, come into the plot, right? The conflict is the fact that sin has now entered itself between a holy God and God's people, separating God from his people. But like any story, movie, or book, the conflict and the bad news is not the point, The conflict is not the point of any movie or any story, but rather the conflict points to the fact that a hero is necessary, that something needs to happen. The Old Testament, everything about the Old Testament points forward to the need for somebody, for God to intervene and do something to change the fact that sin has now come onto the scene and entered itself between God and God's people. The the conflict is not the point. What the conflict points to That is now the point. In Genesis chapter 12, what we see is God, rather than withdrawing himself and saying, all right, I give up. You guys screwed it up. I'm gonna go create something else and leave you. God enters himself into the scene For the first time to establish something that we call the old covenant. And in Genesis chapter 12, he approaches a man named Abraham who is now known as the father of our faith. In verses 1 through 3 in chapter 12, he says this. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, and so that was the call. Abraham answered that call and because of that God's people the Jewish nation the Israelites the Hebrews that nation was born the group of people that God is now going to tell his story through and all of them all inhabitants of the earth because of Abraham's faith to answer that call now have a chance to experience once again proximity with the creator of the universe in the first five books of the Bible the rest of Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy give us the the law and the sacrificial system and by the way if you need a pickup line, guys, in here, since we're talking about the Bible, uh, I'll give you one. Just go up to a girl and be like, hey, girl, like, I'm reading through the Bible, through the book of Numbers, and it's, like, incomplete because I'm looking through it, and yours isn't in here. Every female in this room is rolling her eyes right now. But, boo, I got a few boos. Wow. I didn't use that one. <laughs> or I might not be married, but so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah, is where we get the law and the sacrificial system, which sounds like a really primitive and brutal thing. And it was brutal, but it was also a gift from God to his people to make a way for them to somehow be with him again, because a holy God cannot exist in the presence of sin. And where human beings are is where sin is. And so he gave human beings, the Israelites, a way to atone for that sin, to get rid of it so that they could once again dwell. Well, with him. And, it, and, and it, a price was paid for it. Like literally millions of animals would lose their lives in order for this to happen. It was a brutal system. But that just goes to show you, you want to know how serious God is about sin in the Bible? Look no further than the ruthlessness of the sacrificial system, the reality of hell, and the brutality of what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross. But the sacrificial system and the law come into place and the story of God's people continues. In the book of Joshua, through the book of es- are basically the history books about what happens to the Israelites and the story, the journey that they embark on. And, And basically, just to sum all of that up, because I have to, that story looks something like this. God intervenes, they follow him for a little bit, but then they forget and fall away. God intervenes again. They follow him for a little bit, but then they forget and they fall away. But God intervenes again and they follow him for a little bit, but then they forget and they fall away. Does this sound familiar to anybody else in here besides me? God intervenes again and they follow him for a little bit, but then over time they forget and they fall away away and the pattern continues over and over again and it becomes very clear that something more needs to happen, that this system that's set in place is not quite enough to do the the trick and fix the problem of sin, the conflict that's standing between God and his people. And then, just in the middle of the Bible, out of nowhere, we kind of press pause on the whole story and we get something that um, is called the wisdom literature in the middle of the Bible, right here, like the very middle. Job, or if you're new to the Bible, Job the Psalms, if you're new to the Bible, the Psalms, that's what I used to call them, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, and, um, Psalms, man, is one of my favorite books because it doesn't shy away from the grittiness of reality. And Psalms is written by David, Moses, and a few other authors as well. But man, like any kind of emotion you ever feel, you'll find a Psalm in the Bible that you can resonate with. Any kind of prayer you need for any situation you find yourself in, you'll find a prayer for that in the Psalms that you can resonate with. David wrote most or maybe not most, but a lot of the Psalms. And Matt Chandler always jokes about how King David is the schizophrenic king that we can all relate to because literally you'll be reading the Psalms and on one page, David will be crying out to God because he thinks that God like has forsaken him. He'll be like, where the heck are you? I can't find you anywhere, God. Then you'll turn the page over literally and he'll be like, everywhere I go, there you are. I can't get away from you. I can't get, it. like, he's so, I'm like, I love this guy so much because I can so relate to him. I can, and so if you, if you struggle like that with the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of faith like I do, you're going to find a lot of comfort in the Psalms. If you, if you struggle with anxiety or with stress or worrying or depression, you're going to find a lot of people that you can relate with and a lot of situations you can relate to in the Psalms. There's only one perfect character, perfect guy in the Bible. It's Jesus Christ. Everybody else is pretty much a train wreck, very, very far from perfect. Seriously, but God uses them despite that, which means he can also use all of us. And you're going to find so much comfort in seeing the grittiness and the fact that the Bible does not shy away from the fact that life is hard and we are fallen and we are broken. And then Proverbs comes after that. Proverbs was written by David's son Solomon, and it's full of wisdom and truth, And which is basically to our souls and our spirits what oxygen is to our lungs. Wisdom and truth like lift us up remind us of what is real and what's not real call us out maybe sometimes with tough love and then fire us up and send us out into the world ready and equipped to be lights and if you want to read proverbs sometime it's awesome there's 31 chapters in it which means that you can read one proverb a morning for an entire month and even Red Rocks Church um, about three summers ago did a series called the riddles of the wise where the whole church went through proverbs in one month and uh, they, they have a devo at www riddlesofthewise.com, it's a free devotional, it's seriously so good, and so take advantage of that if Proverbs is something that you feel like you might want to read, but I just want to give you that as a resource, and so after the wisdom literature, after this Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, comes the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. And this is going to take us all the way to the very end of the Old Testament. This is guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah, all the way to the minor prophets, guys like Malachi to finish off the Old Testament. But basically, God put prophets in place to keep his people close, to sometimes call his people out. But most of the time, I think to remind his people that there is hope and that a Savior, a Messiah, is on the way. To fix this conflict in the plot, the sin that's entered itself between a holy God and his people, to fix this conflict once and for all, to say, guys, hold tight, hold tight, because I have a plan and I'm going to carry it out soon. There is a Savior who is on the way. There is a Savior who is on the way Because what can wash away our sins once and for all? Nothing but the blood of a perfect Messiah. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah points out a few different times, gives prophecy of the beatings that Jesus would experience when going to the cross. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Jeremiah does the same thing. Zechariah gives gives some very detailed prophecies about how Jesus' wrists would be pierced, and he's referring to the nails that are going to hold Jesus on the cross, hundreds of years before Jesus is even alive, and I could give you hundreds of more examples of prophecies that were prophesied in the Old Testament and then came to pass in the New Testament, but we just don't have time to do that, but anyways, recap one more time, Act 1, Genesis 1 and 2, one page in the beginning of the Bible, the original intent, that was creation, and that all ended to give way to Act 2, which was the fall, which is the rest of the old testament everything about the conflict points to the new testament though the need for a savior who could finally do something about that conflict and this brings us to the good part of the bible this brings us to the beginning of the new testament this this brings us to act three which is redemption and redemption as far as the bible goes is matthew mark luke and john the four gospels so god remembered what he promised abraham All those years ago, back in Genesis chapter 12, God remembered and then after years of waiting and years and years of prophecies and years and years and years of patience, God John 3 us. He does it. He does the unthinkable. He sends his one and only son to do for us what we can never, broken as we are, do for ourselves. Jesus, the Messiah, comes in the lineage of David and Abraham, and this is the beginning of the New Testament, the story of the new covenant that you and I now live under. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four different biographies of the life of Jesus Christ, written by four different guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, from four different perspectives. And so if you're new to the Bible, and you're like, I just, I don't know where to start Start reading this thing. Start in the Gospels. Start in Matthew. Read Matthew. And then go and get another perspective and read Mark. And then go and read Luke. And then go and read John. Go read about Jesus and the things that he taught and the life that he lived as God who was fully human. Go read about the story of his death on the cross, which was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect Savior to perfect some very imperfect people and do something about the conflict of sin once and for all. Go read that. Go, Go read about... How Jesus, go read about the death of Jesus and then go read about how it seemed like all hope was lost as soon as he was killed on that cross. But then go read about how just three days later he does the impossible and conquers death and walks just nonchalantly out of his grave and then try to realize that this is actually a true story. Internalize it and realize that 2,000 years ago this actually happened because when you do, you'll start to understand that, man, if God can bring Jesus Christ back from the dead, then God can do something. Something about your porn problem. If God can bring Jesus Christ back from the dead, God can save you. If he can do the impossible and bring his son back from the grave, then it's not hard or challenging for him to mend a relationship. If God can do the impossible and bring his son back from the grave, then anything is possible. He can do immeasurably more than anything that you could ever ask or imagine of him. God brought, God brought Jesus back from the dead and then his following began. Just like when he said, let there be light, and light in the universe exploded out in every single direction. As soon as Jesus was risen from the grave, his following exploded out in every single direction. They tried to stop his following. They've tried to persecute the church through every generation, and all it's done is fan the fire into bigger and bigger flames. They tried to kill Jesus, and every generation has tried to convince people to leave Jesus in history, but Jesus is simply the man who will not go away. Redemption is here, is here. Perfect records are here for you and for me. The gates of heaven are now open. Eternity with God is now in our midst. And Act 3 is the story. This is the climax, man. This is what it's all about. And here's my favorite quote, that you and I now live in a day and age where dead messiahs stand up and walk out of their tombs. Which means anything is now possible. And that's the end of Act 3 and brings us to Act 4, which is restoration. Which is where you and I find ourselves in the middle of right now. And this is the book of Acts all the way to the very end of the bible the very end of revelation in 2016 this is where this is where we're at right now and so acts basically is um is the the historical story of the beginning of the church Okay, and how the the following of Jesus Christ started after he he conquered the grave, okay? Acts is the story of that. And Jesus gives the great commission in two different places, in Matthew 28, but also in the very beginning of the book of Acts in chapter one, verse eight, which is this. You will receive, this is Jesus, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And Ben, you guys can go ahead and get back out here. Scotty, you can get out here and play some keys. Make me sound way more spiritual than I really am. Watch, it's going to work. As soon as he starts, you're going to be like, oh, this is really good. Just because of that. The Holy Spirit will come on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is the story of how Jesus' followers made that happen, and they spread the gospel, the church throughout Jerusalem, onto Judea, onto Ju- onto Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, one of which is Denver, Colorado, which is why we're in this room tonight reading about this. And there's a lot, there's actually more ends of the earth out there that have not been reached. I know um, in the book of Revelation, John, who wrote Revelation, says that, uh, he says that before Jesus comes back, every tribe, tongue, and nation needs to at least hear about the gospel And there's a lot of experts out there right now saying that there are about roughly 6,000 small tribes, tongues, and nations all over the world who are yet to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are ends of the earth that are still being reached, which is why we're still right smack in the middle of this restoration period. And so maybe some of you in here will be a part of reaching the unreached. And I just felt like I needed to say that just in case that struck a chord deep in the heart of anybody in here tonight. But... Following Acts, what you have are the letters written by Paul and Peter and James and John to different churches and people groups. that we're dealing with very specific struggles, okay? So these are very, these are letters written to specific groups of people, but in the right context, these letters um, teach us what it means to live in a world post Jesus Christ. Teach us what it means to live in a world where dead messiahs stand up and walk out of their graves. Teach us what it means to live in a world where that conflict of sin standing between us and our heavenly father, our creator, has now been taken care of by Jesus. And so those letters, man, teaches us to, to live in a world where Jesus has already, already paid it all because he has paid it all which means that our connection with God is no longer religion but rather an intimate relationship you know that right like the old testament is religion the law basically it says do this do this do this do this and because you do that those things you will be accepted that's religion but the gospel the new covenant says no 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 no, no. you're you're already accepted in fact Once you start to realize just how accepted you really are, you're just going to want to start to obey for reasons that you have no idea why. You're just going to realize that, man, God knows what he's talking about. I can't believe that this God, this creator, loved me that much to do that for me, to pull off John 3.16 just for me. I think he might know what he's talking about when he's talking about life to the full. Maybe, man, maybe I do want to line my life up with what his word says. The letters, they teach us how to live in a day and age post the cross of Jesus Christ. With the gospel instead of religion, and every book in the entire Bible, including the Old Testament, points to this fact. The Old Testament points forward to the promise of Jesus, to the gospel, and the New Testament is Jesus. And then gives advice, sometimes very practical advice, on how we now live in the aftermath that. The Bible points us to this. Religion says, do. Jesus says, no, 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 it's been done. Religion says, do. Jesus says, no, the final thing I said on the cross before I took my last breath was it's finished. Everything that you were trying to accomplish that the law and the sacrificial system were powerless to accomplish on their own. No, 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 I did it. It's finished. The conflict is dealt with. And even though The world is still broken. Heaven is now invading our world, and it's invading this world through us, through image bearers of Jesus Christ. And this book is the story that makes sense of every other story. It explains why bad things still happen in the world. It explains why somewhere deep down you know that you're a part of a story that's bigger than yourself. You're a part of the story that this Bible talks about. The story makes sense of every other story. Just like our favorite movies, man. It explains why bad things can somehow can sometimes still happen. It explains how this love between God and us is an unbreakable kind of love that we want to hope is out there somewhere. It is out there somewhere. It explains... The story of an ultimate sacrifice of a god who gave up everything and did not consider his equality with god as something to be Grass, but laid down everything so that you and I could go free. And it tells the story that we'll get to witness one day of good finally triumphing over evil once and for all, and the old being pushed away to make room for the new where shalom will once again be restored in perfect unity and harmony between us and everybody else and us and our creator will be back to stay. That is the meta narrative of the 66 individual books that all tell one single story, the single story that will transform you from the inside out as you read it, as you internalize it, and as that story becomes your story. And so I was trying to think, man, just just some very simple way to end this, like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this chapter and this chapter this many days a week, and we're going to keep this up for a month. And then, you know, I was trying to like, but there's no like rhyme, I guess, to, to how this works. Reading the Bible, we all know we're supposed to do it. The important thing is that, man, you just do it. You let his story invade your life and become your story and watch as things just start to work in your life, even when everything around you sometimes might be stormy. Try, I don't know, try reading a chapter of Matthew once a day try reading a chapter in the in one of the gospels in the morning and then a psalm at night or half a psalm in the morning and half a proverb at night or a full psalm in the morning and a chapter in Matthew or Luke or Mark or John at night like it doesn't really matter what you do the point is that you're doing something that you're that you're getting into this word that you are that you're learning the art of getting alone with this book and letting heaven speak to you through the the words that are on those pages that is a fundamental a fundamental that, man, better, better we learn it now than learn it 30 years from now. Or download the Bible app onto your phone. And every single morning when your alarm goes off, before you even put your feet on the floor, look at the verse of the day. Pray about that verse of the day for one minute. And then for two minutes, just think about it and how it might apply to your life. And watch how challenging it is not to get distracted and not to think about other things. But you will get better the more that you do it. Just do something. Just try. Let his story become your story. And then I just want to finish by reading you guys this quote because, and this is not going to be up on the screen, but I just love it. And then we'll pray. And then we're going to do some worship. And here's the quote. This is by Preben Vang and Terry Carter. And it says this, our stories as human beings are made up of stories that have shaped or are shaping who we are. The story of the Bible has the power to make sense of all the other stories of your life. When it is internalized, not just read, not just skimmed over, but internalized. And it becomes your story. It gives meaning in the midst of meaningless, and value in the midst of worthlessness. Your personal story will find grounding in creation, in act one, creation. It will find guidance in crisis in the fall in act two. Guidance in crisis. Reformation and redemption, act three. And finally, it will find direction in its destination, in restoration, in what we're in the midst of right now. Direction in restoration. People become Christians when their own stories merge with and are understood in the light of God's story. Amen? All right, guys, let's pray and let's worship. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for my friends in this room. God, I, I know in my own life, I know how hard it is to, it seems so easy that we're supposed to read the Bible, that we're supposed to somehow internalize it, that we're, so, we're supposed to somehow make your story become our story. That seems, that seems to make sense in here, kind of until we wake up tomorrow morning and actually try it. Um, but God, I just gotta believe that you're gonna teach us as we go. And that as we just open it and read a chapter and ask that you would teach us something new about yourself and that you would let something stand out to us that we can take with us for our day, God, that you're gonna gonna slowly let your story become who we are, become our story. So God, I just ask for your help. I know that in our 20s, some of the decisions that we make now will change and affect the rest of our lives, God. And no matter what our hopes and our dreams are for the future, those don't matter nearly as much as the decisions we make and the paths that we take right now in your Bible, man. It's the the roadmap in this concept of a road trip. And so God, please don't let us take this lightly. Please help us to learn this lesson now, to learn this skill now, to learn this fundamental now. Speak to me, speak to my friends in this room so that we can hear from heaven whenever we want, simply just by opening your story. Pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, you guys, let's stand and let's sing some songs.